I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. The show is brought to you by my company, Body Shop Performance. We create total solutions to optimize your health by focusing on sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Ruth the Guess What podcast. I'm Leanne Spencer and my guest this week is someone I know pretty well. His name is Andrew Steele. He's an Olympian. He won a bronze medal in the 2008 Olympic Games for the 400 metres and the 4x400 metre relay for Team GB. Post his Olympic career, he became the head of product at a company called DNA Fit that you might have heard me talk about before. They make the DNA test that we wrap up in in a number of our packages. In this conversation, we talk a bit about what's changed in the world of genetics since I first heard Craig Pickering on from DNA Fit, again, another Olympic athlete, about three years ago when we started the show. So we talk about how the genetic science has progressed. We then talk a bit about their latest product, which is called Circle DNA, absolutely fascinating product, which I'm looking to get done myself pretty soon. And the kind of benefits that gives you, you know, what can you understand about how to personalise your health, fitness and well-being through DNA testing? We talk a bit about epigenetics, which is the effect of the environment on your genetics. But we also talk about a lot of the lifestyle changes that you can make, armed with the knowledge of what your genes tell you about you. So we have a discount code as well for all products. So if you go onto dnafit.com or CircleDNA, we've got a 25% discount code for you, which I think is going to be uppercase BODYSHOT, B-O-D-Y-S-H-O-T, 25 Body Shot 2.5 for 25% off, which I think is one of the biggest discounts they give out. So if you've got any interest in the Circle DNA products, by all means, jump on and, and use this discount. Now would be a great time to do that. The website for Circle DNA is circledna.com. So enjoy the show. If you've got any questions or feedback for us, let us know and either Andrew or myself will come back to you. In the meantime, here is Andrew Steele. Andrew Steele, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you for making the time. Let's get stuck straight in. So tell us a bit about you and how you got from being an Olympic athlete to an ambassador and, well, I think co-founder of the original DNA Fit. So yeah, well, I was, one, well, I was employee number one, basically, yeah. of, of originally DNA Fit. Okay. Yeah, so, so not, not quite a co-founder, but almost. And uh, <laughs> so... So basically, actually, you know, as, as you mentioned, I spent most of my life as an Olympic athlete running the 400 meters for Great Britain, also the 4 by 400 meter relay. Mm-hmm. And during that time, I had some successes. I also had a lot of not so successes, a lot of, a lot of uh, failures, shall we say. And it was that journey of learning what worked for me and what didn't that actually, in a very serendipitous turn of events, led me to discover the role of genetics and actually meet Avi. But just to, to give a little bit more detail on that, if any of your listeners have ever had the misfortune of uh, trying to run a 400 metres, they'll know. Have you ever run one, Leanne? Or? 
No, not not no, a specific okay. four hundred meter race. <laughs> right, right, okay. Well, we'll we'll put a race in the diary for the future, right? So well, happily, uh, because I've been doing marathons <laughs> and longer stuff. Uh, right, yeah, fair yeah. Enough, yeah. I'd love a four hundred meters. <laughs> Good. Well, let's that we you can judge that after you've done it. But uh, so so, but it's, it's it's kind of known in in the industry, in the athletics industry, it's kind of one of the hardest events because it's you have to be an elite sprinter. And at the same time, you have to be quite an elite endurance athlete and make those two skills sort of meet because it's a sprint, but it's a very long sprint. So physiologically speaking, you use up every fuel source your body has, and then you still have about 100 meter runs left to run Mm. in the race. So training for it is quite a difficult concept if you're practicing this event. And and you can either train like a, a short sprinter who does some endurance training on top of that, or you can train like an endurance athlete who does some sprint training. Mm-hmm. And in the first half of my career, running up to the Beijing Olympic Games in 2008, I trained with that endurance method. So I'm from Manchester, as your listeners can hear from my accent, and I had an old-school northern coach who just made us run and run and run, mm-hmm. basically, do lots of volume. And actually, it's very nowadays, it's very rare that elite 400-meter runners do it that way. It's not mm-hmm. really... It's not, not on trend. And that's kind of the same concept that's borne out across all sorts of nutritional advice, exercise advice, even in for everyday people, right? There's a trend sort of base to this. You know, habits tre- change, trends change. And um, and I did quite well at the Beijing Olympic Games. I, I reached the, the semi-final in the individual event. I ran under 45 seconds, which is important benchmark. And then we actually, indirectly, we won a medal in the relay event. So I came fourth at the time. But then two years ago, in 2017, we were retrospectively upgraded after the Russian team were disqualified for a doping infringement mm. after eight years. So basically, it took, it took me about nine years to receive the medal for the race I ran in two thousand. quite a strange medal ceremony, I presume. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it was, it was actually great because they gave us the medal in the London Olympic Stadium. Oh, I see. In front of a home crowd at a different event. Right. So, whereas in Beijing, I should have been on the third place on the podium. We were the only guys on the podium. We had the yeah. national anthem played, which you wouldn't have got from third. Oh, fantastic! So I, think I prefer yeah. it this way, actually. You know, so I actually like it's a better anecdote. And plus, I, I, you know, I get sort of get the best of both worlds mm. <laughs> that way. So, so that's good. But anyway, so after Beijing, we were looking with the sort of you know a kind of performance review. We had like the head coach, people that paid my bills at British Athletics, the my coach, my physio and nutritionist. And the aim was, hey, in four years' time, it's London 2012. It's like the biggest possible event for an Olympic athlete. A home Olympic Games is like an unconscionably incredible opportunity. And I said, how do we get you into the final and to win a medal in the individual 400 metres in four years' time? And to do that, I had to get about half a second quicker, which is in everyday life is comically short. It's literally like, you know, a finger click. It's like... Mm. That, that's all but it's still quite a big task in in sprinting so they said well look everybody else at the top level they train this way the sprint way and you do it the old-fashioned way so if you could do that which we consider more effective nowadays you'll probably get half a second off your time by default and um so basically we switched to the average correct advice at the time and I changed to a more sprint-based training program. And fundamentally, you know, to put it simply, it, it didn't work for me. Over the next four years, my times got slower. On average, it was about a second slower than I was. And I missed out on the team only by a few hundredths, but I went from number one in the UK in 2008 to actually number seven in the UK wow. in 2012. And I didn't mm. even make the team for London 2012. And it was a big big problem for me like this was like a death in the family I was like yeah. you know it, it was 
it took me three months really to get over it. It was like I was grieving for three months. It was it was really huge because yeah. everything I'd ever cared about, everything I'd been defined by, every single interaction with every person I'd ever met was defined by the fact that, hey, you're going to be at London 2012. Oh, you're going to be at London. It just everyone you ever met asked that question was the new year an athlete. Hmm. So to so then say, no, I didn't even make it, let alone didn't do well when I was there, was really hard. But anyway, I got over that. And at that point, I sort of was reassessing and saying, hey, what happened there? Like, I was meant to be really good, and now I'm not good anymore. And one of the decisions I made was, you know what, I'm going to go back to the old school, back to the way I used to do it. I found out through trial and error that the old-fashioned way was more effective for me, and the new way, which even if it's better for everybody else, wasn't better for me. So I already had this mindset of, like, you know, I'm, I'm an individual here, and unfortunately it took me eight years to learn that, but now I know. And then at the same time, a swab arrived in the post when I was in Arizona on a training camp with a small letter. And basically, this was Avi looking for feedback at the time for his new business from sports people and how their genetics might have affected their training. <clears throat> and I was like, okay, I have a look at this. And there was a number of factors that spoke to me so personally about that journey. Actually, I just wrote him a message and said, by the way, this is my experience. This is what you've told me. Well done. You're onto something. Let me know if I can ever help. And actually, we kept in touch from that. We met when I was back in the UK, and then we started working together. So pretty early in the in the business's life cycle, I joined, and, and you know, from that, we, we've now grown, and we're part of a group with over 160 people and offices all over the world. So mm, it's a great amazing, story. Really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, just, I mean, probably interesting for people to to learn like one particular fact that I learned as an athlete and how that affected me. So to put it in context, there's a gene called ACTN3 which you'll be familiar with. You've done all the consults mm-hmm. with your clients. And this gene is probably the most researched genetic variant around elite power performance or elite sprint performance, but particularly in, in one version of that gene. So with every gene, you can have three genotypes, which are the selection of, um, of variants you've inherited from your mother and father. And in ACTN3, you can either have what's called the CC genotypes, so two copies of the C. You have the TT genotypes, so two copies of the T version of that gene, or one of each. Mm-hmm. And the C version, so either CC or CT, is extremely overrepresented in elite power athletes, so much so that the estimates put it around 99% of Olympic level power athletes have the C version of ACTN3. Wow. And fascinatingly, I don't have it. So I'm in the absolute minority. And I, and I mean, absolutely, I mean, really minority. So probably less than 1% of Olympic level sprinters don't have the C version of the ACTN3 gene. And why that matters is the C version is very efficient at building or synthesizing fast twitch muscle fiber when you give your body sprint activity. So even though I was an elite sprinter, I could always, of course, be an elite sprinter. I made I won an Olympic medal in a sprint event. The route in which I became an Olympic sprinter was by default an anomaly. Mm because I was an anomaly when it came to my genetic makeup. That's just one of the factors, but it's, it just helps put it in context to say, well, even at that level of expertise, the average advice is still only the average, and we're all individuals. So, you know, the way we started to think about this was, imagine for people that really don't have expertise around them, they don't have a coach, they don't have a whole performance team, they are super confused about what to do. Um, how can we take this sort of level of technology, this sort of level of detail, and give it to everybody, whether they're an Olympic medalist or they're just starting out on a health and fitness journey. And so that was really the mission that the company was born from. And uh, yeah, pleased to say, you know, we've obviously had some great success over the years and grown a lot and and, and also improved the products uh, over mm. those years. But at least I wish, 
I'd had a little bit more of this information earlier on in my career, but, but and maybe yeah. uh, maybe I could have made the London 2012 team. You know, who knows? I mean, it's incredibly powerful technology for anyone who's not familiar with it. It's an all swab test. Looks well, it did previously. The original product looked at 50 dominant genes relating to exercise and nutrition. And it allowed you basically to cut through all the guesswork about what type of exercise will my body respond best to. But also, I think more importantly for general population, how should I structure my eating plan in this context diet to work with my genes and not against them? You know, if I'm struggling to lose weight, I'm feeling under-energized because you're eating a ton of carbohydrate and you're highly sensitive to it, for example. It, It reveals that kind of stuff. Now, I know the products develop quite a bit and I want to talk about that, but I mean, I think this is certainly personalization is absolutely the future. I know the cost of the test has come down already. I think the clever money will be on testing your genetics then doing some real-time testing around blood, real-time testing around the gut to get a really comprehensive blueprint for how you should be eating, at least at this point in time. Obviously, the genetic stuff is fixed and the gut and the blood can be real-time data that does change over time to formulate the right type of diet and exercise plan for an individual. Certainly for a busy professional who hasn't got the time to do elimination diets and trial and error and waste money on PT sessions that are essentially configured against their genetics. So it's a really exciting time, I think, for this kind of technology. Well, look, I mean, health has been, you know, obviously becoming a phrase, right? It wasn't a thing many years ago. You didn't hear the phrase health tech, right? It wasn't a, it wasn't. Mm. And also we never used to own or see any of our own health data that used to be held under lock and key by a doctor and they were the only people that ever interacted with that data and then thanks to smartphone technology suddenly now even if you're a completely healthy individual actually having access to your own data is a default and you Mm. expect to be able to see how many steps you've done tracked and measured you expect to be able to see your own blood results and not just let a doctor interpret that for you you expect to be able to do a number of other things and actually genetics although people tend to blow it up in their heads as something more is just another one of those metrics mm-hmm. however historically we've only ever made an assumption on our genetic profile so we've said hey i think i'm this way or yeah he looks like he needs more of this and actually now we're able to just have a little bit better idea and shine more of a light on the nature parts of our sort of nature nurture equation and yeah. the way i always put it is no matter what you're trying to do no matter what stage of life everything about especially your health but everything about you as person your behavior action is a combination of how you're born interacting with your environment the nurture part what you do where you live who you see how you sleep and if we're going to take best advantage of that we just need to know a little bit more about that nature part the static part Mm -hmm. so we can better personalize everything else that we can control yeah and that's where it fits in although you know that sounds like almost i'm downplaying the role I think that's the right thing to do because genetics is only one part of the picture, albeit a powerful part of the picture nonetheless. Yeah, indeed. So how how has our understanding of genetics as it relates to diet and nutrition changed since, you know, for example, when some of the early conversations I had with Avi and with Craig Pickering on this podcast? So the last couple of years, how's it changed? Mm. So in the last couple of years, there's been a further sort of almost like democratization and a mass understanding of the role of genetics in things outside of just the clinical context. So historically, rightly so, research was largely funded for genetic research into life-changing medical condition. So whether that was being you know, a carrier of a certain genetic mutation which could lead to a disease, whether that was cancer risk and predisposition. But what's happened in the last few years is that as the technology has become cheaper and cheaper to do the laboratory part of the process, 
we've been able to research a lot more factors around maybe in the non clinical serious medical stuff around lifestyle and health so when we first started you know we had a number of snips around snips single nucleotide polymorphisms which are the genetic variants we've mentioned apologies mm -hmm. to make that clear around fitness and nutrition as the product grew we also started to add more about sort of general well-being so sleep management stress management how might we personalize the way we interact with that and especially as kind of like mindfulness and apps like headspace and calm and you know sleep tracking devices became more of the norm and more of a utility to the end consumer too but recently there's been a big change in the research away from looking at just single particular variants and understanding their function and then testing that function in an intervention and seeing how it affects someone it's been moved to this what's we call what we call highly polygenic risk scores and risk is a bit of a misnomer there it's not always a risk it's just that it could be a predisposition right so we're particularly interested in sort of disease or medical conditions which can be directly affected by fitness or nutrition or lifestyle changes yeah so let's talk about the obesity risk about bone mineral density health problems later in life around type 2 diabetes there's a number of what we call these highly polygenic risk models we actually look at thousands of genetic variants at once and can see if somebody might be at a particularly raised risk um, or a slightly raised risk or an average risk of those conditions and the way we fit that in and this to, to, sorry sorry on. to interrupt to stress this is genetically nothing to yeah. do with lifestyle purely genetic at this stage yeah but it still speaks to both right so if you imagine this when we're looking at average risk the average risk of, as a society a population as a whole could be you know the incidence of type 2 diabetes could be let's say three percent right so you can say okay three percent as an average then if you took people split that cohort into people that you know live in a certain area where there's particularly low availability of healthy food or it's particularly low income or there's there's lots of other environmental factors which then would change that risk so you start with an average mm -hmm. and then as you drill down into different cohorts that average can change so the average incidence of type 2 diabetes in a certain part of the world would be a lot higher yeah and then if you also have genetic information, you can better curate um, sort of stratify that average risk too. Mm -hmm. So by the time we know your genetics, we can give you a more personalized, personal risk predisposition for those conditions if yep. all else is equal. Yep. And the way we use that, the key part is to say, well, look, from a genetic point of view, you are of, um, let's say you have an elevated risk of type diabetes if you are eating and live in the same environment as everybody else or someone with a lower genetic risk. However, if you can then cancel out that you know, raised refined carbohydrate intake or if you can make these particular lifestyle changes, we know we can cancel out that raised risk. So it doesn't matter that you've got the genetic raised risk as long as you've got the correct environment. Mm -hmm. And it's always just that way of like, how do you engage people in behavior change to better improve the environment, the bits they can control because they can't yeah. change their DNA. Yeah, yeah, got it. So that's, a, that's an exciting new part where actually there's growing, because of the technology is so much cheaper. So to give you an example, like the test we do today, if we'd done that same laboratory test on just one person in 2001, it would probably cost more than a million dollars per person at the time. <laughs> and now we're like, you can buy the thing for around 100 quid, right? So it's like, it's yeah, crazy. It's, extraordinary. it's crazy how cheap the technology has become. And now you can do close to a whole genome sequence for like less than $1,000 per person. Mm -hmm. And that used to cost, you know, 100 million per person like 10, 12 years ago. So it's an yep. astonishing turn of events, really. So, um, yeah, like there's a lot of possibilities. 
the cheaper the technology becomes, the more research can be done cheaply, therefore the better discoveries can be made and the better product you can make for the end consumer. Yeah. So as I understand it, DNA fit has evolved into circle DNA. You've been acquired, I know, by Prenetics, which is, uh, I right. think, run yeah. by a Chinese entrepreneur? Correct, yeah. Well, oh, uh, Hong Kong, Hong Kong. Hong Kong, yeah. okay. Yeah. So tell me a bit, I, I actually don't know much about Circle DNA myself, so tell us a bit about what that's all about. Yeah, sure. What we do at DNA Fit is we look for a specific sort of selection of genetic variants that we know affect those, those categories you talked about, so wellness, fitness, nutrition, stress, sleep, etc. And then what's been very popular I guess elsewhere in the world, companies like 23andMe and mm-hmm. even Ancestry DNA are looking at a genetic profile for ancestral makeup and for some health risks. So maybe Alzheimer's risk or Parkinson's mm-hmm. and some, some controversy around them, but people want to know. And they've been very successful. So I think the latest estimate was that you know, somewhere around 10% of the US population have done one of those two companies' tests. So that's a lot of people. 10%? The uh, yeah, so like 30 million plus of the US population wow. have done a DNA test direct consumer. So it's yeah. like, this isn't just early adopter stuff. Like this is like mainstream now, you know, like this isn't um, thanks to the work of these companies actually. Yeah. But the key is what's the next step on that. And, and some of the challenges is if the technology they use in the laboratory process is called a mass array. So basically about looking at about 700,000 genetic variants and that's okay. If you know that you're looking for a particular thing when it comes to something clinical. So, a company might give a breast cancer risk report and they will be looking for a particular variant. Have you got that variant? If not, no risk. If you do, maybe it's a raised risk. Mm-hmm. But that only applies to certain ethnicities, to certain populations, because they're being very narrow in the part of the gene they look at. Now, what we've just launched is our new product. It's called Circle DNA. And Circle DNA is what we're um, defining as the world's most comprehensive direct consumer DNA test. And the reason we say that is the laboratory technology we use is called whole exome sequencing. And that means that we're sequencing the entirety of the protein coding part of the human genome. So to give you an idea of how extensive that is, that's actually 50 times more than 23andMe chips test for. So we're looking at about 31 million genetic data points as opposed to 700,000, should we say. Mm -hmm. So there's a really big swathe of data in that. And what that means is it now allows us two things. One, to just give more information overall. So Circle DNA includes 500 reports. So there's about 30 so reports in DNA Fit. There's 125 reports in products like 23andMe. We can offer 500 reports across the whole genetic spectrum from fun to serious medical conditions. But then also what we can do is in the clinical categories, so the cancer risk, the carrier status stuff, we don't run the inaccuracy or a false positive or false negative rate risk because of the technology we're using. Because we sequence the entire gene, basically, in any of the risk categories, we can't miss variants that are only rare or affect certain individuals, not the average. Mm-hmm. So we actually will find a much more accurate picture of somebody's cancer risk, for example, or an Alzheimer's risk, for example, than has traditionally been possible without going through a doctor and through a sort of hospital network. So, mm-hmm. so it's really exciting. What it means is we can sell this test at an affordable cost. It's accessible. and It's a beautiful 
app and uh, user experience, but it can also give you quite impactful results with free genetic counseling involved by qualified genetic counselors. So if there's a serious medical risk you learn, we have the right professional to deliver that information to yeah. you and help put it in context. Yeah, which is really important. A couple mm. of questions then. Are you able to switch off elements that you might not be interested in? For example, I know that my business partner, Antonia's father, passed away of Alzheimer's related conditions earlier this year. She doesn't want to know what her genetic risk could be. Can she switch off that component? Yeah. So actually she can just buy one of the lower tiers of the products actually. So we basically have like, um, we've got the premium products at the top end, which is the most expensive. We actually have four tiers and we'll make those clear soon actually. But the, the lower entry level doesn't include any of the medical risk categories, but everything else and so on. So there's just different tiers of tests there. Crucially also, and I will make this clear, is even if you bought the premium product, um, to unlock any of the risk, the sort of what we say the high impact categories, cancer risk, et cetera, you have to go through a new mandatory tutorial and extra consent step before unlocking those results so even if someone bought the premium you don't have to give you know you don't have to acknowledge and accept that you're ready to learn those results until you were so yeah yeah so look you've got to provide i guess like the ability for all types of people and i do understand some people would perhaps not feel ready to learn certain risk factors I personally would want to know regardless, but some people don't. And we've built the product to allow that both ways. Yeah, that's good. Second question is, there's 500 reports. That's an overwhelming amount of data. Is there any way I can just say, right, I'm interested in obesity risk or sleep or purely on nutrition so I can kind of concatenate across all that data? Yeah, so, I mean, again, I guess, you know, you'd probably, if you were like, hey, I'm, I'm only interested in lesser stuff, we'd get the more entry-level product. Okay. We don't let a user sort of pick and mix, like, which particular mm. traits they want. But I'm sorry, I meant more from uh, accessing the results space. Oh, yeah. So. so when you, I mean, yeah, yeah when uh, I'll share with you, Leanne, actually, separately, but when you log into the app, it's very, very easy and clear to navigate. So okay. there's kind of three tiers to how you interact with it, stuff that has a medical impact, stuff that has a lifestyle impact, stuff that's just fun to know. So we've even got things like, you know, likely eye colour, which you can look in a mirror to find out, but it's also (laughs) interesting to find out that you actually, yeah, my genetics are contributing like this percentage to that. So there's really fun, what we'd call like genotainment stuff in there to make these level of insights, like span the whole spectrum from just like, flippant fun to fun to know stuff to seriously impactful medical condition risks so i guess what you're doing now is rather than giving people the genetic results about fitness and nutrition and how to personalize those aspects of lifestyle it's now opened up into just about everything sleep stressors yeah uh, like you know even ability to match musical pitch <laughs> to uh, to you know behavioral traits around right. conscientiousness and so on so basically we're taking like all the available research out there extraordinary and making sure that however you want to interact with your genome you have the opportunity to do that yeah and why limit someone if we can get that information for them but at the same time you know if somebody's really just interested in their fitness nutrition and taking that to the next level we have dna fit too so it's a natural growth and i think as the products progress we'll be able to better integrate like how that how we interact with that from mm. hey i just want a training plan okay here's unlocking this amount of your genome and can i upgrade later yeah for sure so so mm. you know we've got a lot of plans but what I'm really and I've really been impressed by is just how knowledgeable actually the audience are because I thought no one's going to know what exome sequencing means, right? No one's going to know or care like, if they get more reports. But actually, people have been really, really um, positive about it and the uptake's been really strong, actually, so far. Mm-hmm. And it's really early days. So, so I'm very excited about the potential for it. 
Yeah. Well, we're keen as uh, my business body shot are keen to get behind it. Right. I've got another question for you around epigenetics. Are there any plans yes. to look at the effects of epigenetics? And for, for anyone listening in, that's the effect that the environment has on your genetic expression. That's right. Yeah. There's some early technologies out there in terms of measuring that. So first point I will make is that in most cases of interacting with your genetic data, you get a lifestyle action to take based off that, right? And that causes in and of itself an epigenetic effect. So if I take my Olympic sprinter gene example as before, right? So let's say I know I've got the version of that gene which is good at synthesizing fast twitch muscle fiber, but it's only good at synthesizing fast twitch muscle fiber if I give it an environment change. And therefore that protein is expressed more efficiently and does its job. That's epigenetic in action. So it's a very simple way of putting it. It's just, can we create a genetic protein production effect from doing something that we can control? Mm -hmm. So actually already what we've been offering to our users is, creating that epigenetic effect what's interesting now and i've been following there's a couple of companies out there looking at and um, things about epigenetic signatures so actually measuring on average how much of this particular selection of genes of their protein was expressed and you know how was that going up or down i think personally it's very very early days for that i think we've probably got a lot more to go in terms of understanding that as in you know, do you then run the same risks as a blood test where if you eat fatty foods just before you take a cholesterol test, it's going to say that you've got raised cholesterol, whereas actually mm. you've just eaten some fatty foods. So that, you know, that might be temporary and uh, of just the past. And what's not entirely clear is, you know, how will the epigenetic measuring technology differ based off what that person's just done just before you take the test, etc. And how might it provide utility? So it's quite exciting, the concept of it. I think it's probably just early days as we monitor that we'll um, you know, obviously be keenly watching from our scientific advisory board like how that progresses and if it reaches a threshold where we feel it'll add some value. Mm-hmm. Okay. So unfortunately, we're low on time, but I've got one more question for you around yeah. the future of the tests. And do mm-hmm. you say, what, what is the youngest age that you can take a, a genetic test through DNA Fit anyway? So, yeah, I mean, we don't sell to under 18s. And the reason for that is not a physical reason. There's no physical barrier to to doing that, but purely just almost like a context ethical reason. So, you know, if again, we draw back to my Olympic sprinter gene example, if I've been told when I was 12 or eight that I was in that 1% of people that don't have that gene at the elite level, it may have changed even because I couldn't understand it at the time, actually how I interacted with that. And I may not have tried and actually I won an Olympic medal, right? So I really, I was really good at it. So it's very important that these results are delivered at a time when you feel able to understand them in context of what they mean, but crucially also what they don't mean. So that's why we don't sell to under 18s. And similarly, there's also consent challenges, you know, when you're under 18, you know, do you have the legal right to consent to a DNA test? Do you have to have a guardian consent to that for yeah. you? It's just, it's really just not worth any of the potential downside. I think. Yeah. Do you think at some point, this last question, we will start genetic testing babies on birth to yeah. gather all this information? I really think it's going to be very soon, right? And when I say we'll do the testing, whether we use that and we interpret that data into a lifestyle change early on in life is a different question. But I do believe very soon 
and I say very soon, probably you know, ten years, but but very soon in the grand scheme of things, it won't be long before we all have our entire genomic sequence on our smartphones under Apple Health or Samsung Health or Google Health, and we can deploy and utilize bits of that genome as we wish when we need to at different mm-hmm. stages in our life because yeah. it is what makes us we do own it we have it there we may as well know and be able to deploy it as we need as soon as we can and pretty soon i just think it will be the complete default we'll yeah. all have a genomic sequence it won't be a case of doing a test we just use it at different parts of our life yeah agreed i think we'll get there as well okay mm-hmm. andrew thanks so much for coming on the show i'm going to link to to circle dna to dna fits website anything else you want me to link to obviously ways people can get hold of you yeah sure so if you want to you know get in touch with me just find me on twitter or instagram my name's just andrew Steele, e and e on the end of steel or one word there so yeah. do reach out to me there and then yeah anything about either of those products actually dna fit or circle you can find via dna fit.com yeah which i'll link to in the show notes cool all right well i, I eagerly watch what you guys are going to do next you know you're one of Great. my favorite partners <laughs> to work with <laughs> cheers leanne yeah thanks really exciting technology so thanks a lot Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotsperformance.com and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.